Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Reverend Mark Edwards, here he is. Fantastic. Well, take your seats. It's great to be in Perth. It really is. Do you know when I left Queensland, I thought, well, Perth has got to be warmer. <laughs> You know, I, I've got underneath, I mean, you know, underneath here I've got about six layers of clothes. So I just want you to know I'm freezing. I don't know about you. I just first of all want to take the opportunity of honouring your pastors. And I say this with great sincerity. Uh, Jeff and Rhonda have been friends of mine for so many years. And I admire them not just greatly but with the highest esteem. I think that over the years I've seen this church be more innovative than many other churches in this nation, and it's because of the leadership of Jeff and Rhonda. Jeff is the most innovative thinker. He really is. <clears throat> really is. And, um, you know, the things that you have done over the years, no one else had done. They've just caught up. And sometimes it takes an outsider to come and say, look, you're doing really well. And Jeff and, and Rhonda, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your phone calls. He, he's a better friend to me than I am to him to be honest. And uh, so when he invited me, there was, you know, all I prayed was that could I get over my COVID and uh, get here. And um, I, I love you guys and I'm glad to be here. And it's good to have Andrew and Craig from Brisbane and uh, the college. I've known these two gentlemen for so many years and I honour you too for what you are both doing. I thoroughly enjoyed Friday. Now, look, this morning, this is what I thought I'd do. Um, if I were to ask you this question, what do you think the essence of Christianity is? We would have different answers, and that's okay. Some people would say, well, what's the essence of Christianity? Let me think about it. Okay, love, great answer and absolutely correct. Someone else would say, well, it's mercy. It's all about mercy. Someone else would say, well, it's grace, which is, you know, similar to mercy. Someone would say it's about sacrifice. Well, I want to just push you a little bit today and talk about what I think might be a possible, possible answer to that question. And we're going to talk about something that is really the essence of Christianity. But at the end of the message, I'm going to talk about something that we don't normally talk about. What if the essence of Christianity that I'm going to talk about, and you'll find out in a minute, what if it doesn't work? How do we respond? So this morning's message is called Lazarus Rising. And I think it'll give you a hint about what I'm going to talk about. So you ready for that? We won't be long, but we'll see what we can do, hey? So let's pray. Let's pray the prayer that I think is one of the most ancient prayers that we can ever pray. You ready for the message? Well, here it is. Let's just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Why do we say that? Just come, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our ears. Lord, give me strength and health. And I just pray today that lives will be changed as we hear this message. Not because of me, because of the power of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I really do find it absolutely amazing that people who don't have any faith or actually are very hostile to faith use religious terms all the time. Do you find that? Well, maybe you don't, but in Ipswich they do. In my running group, they're always using them. And I'm thinking... You don't even believe in God. You don't even have a faith. In fact, I know you're very opposed to faith. 
So sometimes you'll hear someone say, it's a David and Goliath contest. That's biblical. You know, I think it is anyway, the Bible I read. And they're using that. Here's another one. He or she was crucified in the press. Now, I know crucifixion is a general term, but it's pretty biblical as well and identified with that. Here's another biblical term that non-faith people use as well. Let there be light. Now, I think I've read that somewhere. Was it Genesis, perhaps? And it's all about when you walk into a darkened area, let there be light. And people just say that. I love this one. This is one that is used a lot. Eat, drink, and be merry. Again, it's a biblical term. It's been used, I know it's outside the Bible, but it's been used in the Bible a heap of times. But here's my favourite, and I'm sure you've heard this. And it's usually in context with someone in a sporting team or politics or in an area where they've made a spectacular comeback. And you'll find someone then will say, he or she, they've done a Lazarus. <laughs> they made a comeback. And it's really interesting that a former Prime Minister, John Howard, wrote a book called Lazarus Rising. So I pinched the title, basically. And he was talking about the fact that he was down and out and came back from opposition and became Prime Minister. When I thought about that, I thought, wow, the whole concept of that term, Lazarus Rising, is about something or someone who thought they were, well, please forgive me in saying this, but dead, but now they've come alive. Something that was dead. Someone that was dead. And they've come alive. And what better story in the Bible to actually illustrate this concept of resurrection power? And that's what I want to talk about today. The essence of Christianity, in my view, resurrection power. And what better story than, well, Lazarus. Now, we know there's the story of Lazarus in the Bible. It's told in, in John chapter 11. And I know you know the story. But can you just humour me today and let me just tell the story again so we've got all the facts right? And if you look at this story, it is the most amazing story. I don't know about you, but sometimes don't you think we take great biblical stories and we treat them a bit softly and a bit for granted? But this is a great story. I don't know about you, but here's Lazarus, dead for four days, buried in a tomb, wrapped in the garments of death, and Jesus rises him from the dead. I don't know about you, but that's a story. That's a story that actually gets me so emotionally involved. And I just think of all the people around. I think of Lazarus. It would have been good to be Lazarus, wouldn't it? I mean, the alternative, I'll have the resurrection, thank you. But there's something that we don't know in this story because there's not much fact to it, to be honest. We don't know a lot about Lazarus. We know what happened, but we don't know a lot about him. We don't know what his occupation was. We don't even know how Jesus came to know him. We know that Lazarus had at least two sisters. We know that Jesus visited those two sisters and Lazarus and the family home on more than one occasion. In fact, Lazarus, I want you to hear this, is described as being a very dear friend of Jesus. So there's this close relationship there. And then the story takes this tragic turn. Lazarus gets sick. And a message is sent to Jesus that dis a message is sent to Jesus. Come on, Lazarus is not just sick, he's sick unto death. Now, can I just pause here and put my pastor's hat on? Now, if I got a message saying that one of my very close friends was close to death and in the Ipswich General Hospital, I'd probably go and visit. Now, come on, it's not that complicated. 
What does Jesus actually do? Jesus delays then for a two-day period. Just takes a step back. So what happens? Well, you know the story as well as I do. Lazarus dies. And then Jesus arrives four days after he passes away. Now, I don't know about you, but I could sense, without telling any more of the story, that there's probably going to be a bit of ill feeling when he arrives on the scene. Would you agree with that? There's going to be a bit. There's no doubt about it. Let's stop there and let me just set the scene a little bit more. This is not just a story of raising a human being from the dead. Can we just put that aside? If you want a nice story, read that story. But it's not just that story. This is a story which demonstrates the resurrection power of God in all situations and all circumstances. That's why it's so meaningful for me. I've been here. I've been there. This is the resurrection power of God. And throughout the history of the Bible, do you understand that there's a thread that holds the whole biblical story together? Its resurrection is the heart of God. It's, it's the heart of God. He, he, can't, he, he doesn't absent himself from resurrection. It is who he is. God takes situations, friends. And I've seen it. And you've seen it. He takes situations that are dead and he resurrects them. And you know, I'm not even being prophetic this morning. Everyone in their life will experience a time when they need resurrection power. Everyone. There are no exceptions to this. There'll be times when something is dead. And the resurrection power of God, listen to this, is your only hope. It's your only hope. And right now it could be taking place in your life. It could be a dream, dead. You look at that dream and think, there is no way that that can happen. It could be an aspect of your health, some part of your body that's not functioning and needs life. We've all been there, come on. It could be a relationship. No doubt in this room right now, there are relationships that are dead and when you look at it in a natural sense, there is no hope of restoration. No hope. Some aspect of your business, career, job, that has the smell of death attached to it. This is not just Lazarus's story, friends. Sorry to be emotional about this. This is your story. This is your story. Yet it's more than just a story, as I said. It's a promise. But I just wonder. I've been around a bit, as you can tell. I wonder if you really believe it. Or is it just a story as opposed to a promise? See, when Lazarus dies and he's in the tomb for four days, the situation that he arrives to, Jesus arrives to, demonstrates our attitude sometimes when we need a resurrection miracle. So come on the story with me. It's a fascinating story. So Jesus turns up at the scene and who's he greeted for? Greeted by, first of all, he's greeted by Martha. And I must admit, Martha's reaction is, is quite normal. Poor old Martha gets a bad rap in this story. But it's natural. She sent a message. He ignored it, according to her. And then he arrives so many days later. I mean, it's all over by the shouting as far as she's concerned. And in John 11, 21 and 22, there's this wonderful passage where she confronts Jesus. She says, Lord, starts off nice. I notice most conversations with Jesus do start very politely. They just go south after that. Lord, 
if only you'd been here. I mean, a direct accusation. My brother would not have died. How are you, Jesus? How was the trip? No, 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 no. If only you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But I'll tell you what, even now I know. I mean, this throwaway line. Even now I know that, well, God will give you whatever you ask. Did you notice something about Martha's reply? You need to notice it because it's our reply sometimes when we're facing a situation that no natural means will resurrect it. And her reply just lacks faith. There's no faith. There's no faith in this statement. If only, if only you were here, but you're not. So, kesara, sarah, it's done and dusted. And then, maybe I went too far with you, Jesus, so let me just throw this in. Um, Look, you know, if only, if only, you know, I mean, God will give you what you ask. What a throwaway line. See, when I read that, I think there's a little bit of Martha in me. There's a little bit of Martha in you. That when we know something has died and we need a miracle, why is it that our first reaction is not that Jesus can resurrect anything? You know what it is? Why did this happen? I've been there. I've done that. It's natural. Why? You know, why? But it's a bit more than just why did it happen. There's one extra word there. Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you, God, allow? I mean, yeah, I've, I've believed in you for how many years? I've seen other people get miracles, but, you know, what about me? I mean, you loved Lazarus. See, your first reaction to a challenge, especially one that requires the resurrection power of God, I'm sorry to say this, might say everything about you. Your first reaction. Your heart response, first up. And come on, I'm not critical. I've been there. I've done it. I've done it. But it will also perhaps dictate how you're then going to respond. That's why it's so dangerous at this point. Martha's reaction, can I just say... Uh, you know, I, I understand the attitude. It was a bit critical, but it's understandably grief-stricken. Come on, she's lost a brother. I'm not discounting the grief in this story, but now compare the reaction of Jesus. Can we do that? So Martha, as you've heard, what's Jesus? Well, Jesus makes three emphatic statements. You can read them. Verses 4, 23, 25 and 26. Here's the three statements he makes, and they're emphatic and they're direct. First thing he says is, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. It won't end in death. It's an emphatic statement. You notice where I'm going with this? Second one, your brother will rise again. That's the second statement. Then the most powerful statement, I think, that we can take from Jesus in in, in all the statements that he's made. Now, that's a big statement I've made. But here's what he says. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Oh, I'm sorry, I move, I move when, I, when I hear this. Here's this grieving crowd, this grieving sister, and he makes these three statements. It's not going to end in death. You know why? Because I'm the resurrection and I'm the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. He's making sure it's not just a theological discussion. He's not just being super spiritual, even after dying. I'll just add those three words. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then this direct question, which he not only asked to Martha, he asked to you and I. Wow. It was a powerful question. And he says, then, listen, do you believe this, Martha? 
You see, it's what the question that I asked you five minutes ago. Do you really believe in this resurrection stuff? Do you really believe this? And I want you to also notice that he's just going to get worse now. Because not only has Martha fronted him up, Mary, who doesn't know about that conversation, she comes and greets Jesus as well. And it's not, how was your journey, Jesus? Did you get plenty of rest on the way? Here's Mary's reaction, verse 32. Lord, if you've only been here, my brother would not have died. So here's Jesus fronted by the two people that he loves. But it gets worse. Then the crowd joins because you know how sometimes it just you need a bit of momentum to be critical. And in verse 37, the crowd doesn't even believe him, but they're really more direct. Hey, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have just, well, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So here we have it. Mary, Martha and the crowd, no faith, but a bit of critical attitude. See, sometimes I've discovered from reading this story that you'll be the only one who believes God's resurrection. You're the only one. Have you been there? I've been there. You're the only one. The closest people around you don't even believe it. And you're the only one. And you know what I've discovered? That's all you need. You can be the only one to believe that God is the resurrection. When you're believing for a miracle, when you have to exercise resurrection faith, when you've got the smell of death around you that even you can smell, when there's no encouragement, there's no support, and you feel all alone and doubt creeps into your head because of all the voices around you and you can't even start to believe, well, I I hope he's the resurrection and the life. What do you do, friends? Because if you haven't been there, you will be there. Because sometimes you're the only sound person to listen to and even then it's a bit dodgy. What do you do? Well, I, 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 I can only do one thing. I've got to look at what Jesus did. If I lose that ability to just say, okay, you're my model in this, Lord. And I just happen to see a pattern for believing that God is the resurrection and life. I see hope in absolutely hopeless situation because the first thing he does is really interesting. The first thing he does, he doesn't just walk up to the tomb. Do you notice that? He doesn't just say, come on out, Lazarus, you know, let's just let's put all these people in their place. The first thing he does is he deals with his emotions. Yeah, I know. You didn't expect that, did you? See, one very understandable emotion in any of these circumstances is grief. Please hear me, I'm not taking that out of the equation. It's okay to grieve. My God, God gave us grief. It's okay. But there's got to be another step, haven't there? And Mary and Martha are grieving like they should and we should grieve. Oh boy, we should grieve. But yet Jesus has a very different emotion and it's really unusual. It's anger. I found this really hard to reconcile, to be honest. Because in verse 38 it says Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. A couple of verses before that in verse 33 we're told a deep anger welled up within him. Another version says he was angry in his spirit and he was deeply troubled. Now I want you to notice this. It's not that he doesn't have emotions or feelings. If you don't think he's grieving for Lazarus, you're kidding. He is. It's the heart of God grieves for us when we are experiencing what that family is experiencing. But what's going on? Because what I notice is he's not just doesn't have emotions or feelings. He's got them, but he controls them. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus was not passive about Lazarus. He's not prepared to be negative. He became angry. Now, we don't know the exact reason why he's angry. 
But here's a couple of suggestions. He's angry, perhaps, at the lack of faith in the crowd. Maybe he's angry at the negativity in a very healthy way. Listen, Jesus did not react. How many of us, when we're in a non-resurrection situation, and we need resurrection, we, we start to react in ways that, you know, there are, sometimes it's aggression, sometimes it's yelling, sometimes it's screaming, sometimes it's bad behaviour, sometimes it's arrogance, sometimes it's judgment, sometimes it's isolation. Jesus dealt with his emotions. So I'm asking myself, how did you do that, Jesus? How did you do that? And he was able to do it because he knew one thing above anything else. God's the resurrection. He never lost sight of that. You see, in the middle of your valley of experience that needs a resurrection miracle, don't you ever lose faith in the fact that God's the resurrection? He was there when God created the world out of nothing, friends. Nothing. In other words, he resurrected the world from the death of chaos. Isn't it interesting that later on, the person who records the story, the Apostle John, in 1 John 3.20, at the end of his life, says God is greater than our feelings because he knows everything. So let's stop for a minute. Let's stop. When a challenge comes that requires resurrection, what's your first resurrection? What's your first reaction? What emotions come to the surface first? Because that says a lot about you. For Jesus, it was anger, but he directed and controlled that anger. What is the emotion you have? Now, we have grief, no doubt. Let's step aside. I'll tell you some of the emotions I have. Fear. I let that override me. Disappointment with God. Yeah, I know he's a resurrection God, but you know what? I'm a bit disappointed I got this in the first place. Maybe you should have prevented it. I mean, you know everything. What about anxiety? What about bitterness? What about unsure what to do next? Because the pain of death is hurting so much and you can smell it. I want you to remember that your reaction, your emotions at this stage are going to dictate the next step you take. That's why I'm labouring on this point. Your reaction right now is going to dictate the next step and the next step is a, it's the biggie. It's the biggie. So let's continue the story. What does Jesus do next? Now remember the first step was he dealt with his emotions, but what does he do next? Well, verse 38 and 39, my favourite verses. Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. And he yells out, roll the stone away. And Jesus says, Jesus said that. But Martha, now this is, this is the funny part of the story. Can I just put this in? I mean, I know it'll take a minute, but I love this part of the story. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protests. Says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell is going to be terrible. Now, let's just put this in context, all right, because I'm sure it's not, it wouldn't happen to you, but Jesus acts in faith, doesn't he? This is the next step he takes. Jesus acts in faith. But Martha, I mean, Martha, hang on a minute. You're critical of me for not being here. Then you say, if only, well, you know, you know God anyway, so you can still pull this miracle off. When he goes to do the miracle, she says, hang on a minute, it's going to smell. I'm thinking, Martha, you can't have it both ways. It's as simple as that. See, once you act in faith, be prepared for opposition. Jesus took a step in faith. Step in faith. Can I, can I just go through it? Act in faith. Roll the stone away. Opposition. 
Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell's going to be terrible. <coughs> Excuse me. When you, when you act in faith, sometimes your greatest opposition will be those that are closest to you. The opposition might be circumstances. But it might be you. It might be your background. It might be your past experiences, your mindset, your faith background. All those things converge at that one point. And even though Martha had spent quality one-on-one time with Jesus, she still says, I know God can do it, but I don't really believe it. And don't do it because the smell is going to be terrible. The smell is going to be worse than the miracle. Is that what she's saying? See, opposition will always attempt to rob faith of its resurrection power. Here's Jesus. He's been criticised by Martha for turning up late. Now that Jesus is acting to bring him back, she's his greatest critic to a degree. But can I tell you that opposition is always defeated by the language of conviction. Now, I'm not just a person who says, let's say it and believe it, you'll get it. No, I am far from that. But your language at this point is critical. The faith language of conviction. In other words, speak against the opposition. Don't remain silent. Speak a language of faith. A language of faith. You've got to, and it's hard. Please hear me. This is tough stuff. This is not an easy thing to do. When you are looking at the the circumstances around you, your background invading you, and the smell of death is in your nostrils. And too many resurrection miracles are destroyed because the voice of the opposition is allowed to thrive. Don't roll the stone away. There's going to be a bit of a smell. Here's what Jesus says. Roll the stone away. And the stone is rolled away. Verse 43. Could this be the best verse? Lazarus, come on, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. That would have been a moment, eh? Don't you reckon? That's a biggie. Now, do you notice in this story that Jesus spent more time dealing with those who would rob him of faith than the actual exercise of faith? That's just a freebie. See, maybe the real lesson of this resurrection story is that resurrection will always be opposed. Sometimes it's our friends, sometimes it's circumstances, and the opposition needs to be defeated because that step of faith is required. Because you've got to declare the, declare the confidence and the faith in God that the opposition's not right. Now, I've looked down at the clock down here, and unfortunately, I've got time left. That means I've got to deal with this other subject of, well, what if there's no resurrection? I actually don't like this part of the message. I wish it, I think it could finish really well now. We'd have a great morning. <laughs> but sometimes we don't ask that question, what if? See, your emotions are dealt with. You act in faith. Jesus, Lazarus lived. Isn't that great? Lazarus lived. But the problem with this story is that James didn't. The apostle. Stephen, according to my version of the Bible, he didn't either. Had a great vision at the end, but he still died. We know Peter and Paul, and in fact all the disciples except John, were martyred. John, it said, was dropped into a boiling fat of hot oil by tradition and survived by the skin of his teeth. How can you and I reconcile this? See, some of you might be thinking, oh, it's really cool. Look at him up here. Preachers without a pulpit. Brilliant. I wish I had a pulpit, but I can't. Here's the reason. 
probably well over a decade ago, I woke up one morning and couldn't see out of one eye. It's completely filled with a, a watery substance. Now, I'm not the brightest human being on the face of the earth, but I thought this might be something wrong. So I was rushed to a doctor, to a specialist, and he looked at mine and he said, well, you've got a detached retina. We're going to have to do some surgery. And I said, oh, well, look, I can probably schedule it in about a month. He said, no, 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 two hours. Two hours. I'm sending you to a specialist, a mate of mine who specialises in retinas. I've phoned him already. He's got, a, he's got a list this afternoon. You're on top of the list. So I find myself in surgery. And I'm thinking, I, I'm not even comprehending what's going on. The surgery is completed. and At the end of the day, the doctor, after his list, comes to me and says, look, Mark, the, the surgery was, was pretty successful, but the tear was so bad. He said, there's going to be some problems. He said, you're going to have double vision for the rest of your life. And he said, it's likely because of that you'll lose all your peripheral vision. Now, in practical terms, that means I fall downstairs, I don't see stairs, I don't see edges, all that sort of you know, stuff that you probably do need when you're my age and you walk a lot, and particularly when you're running on uneven footpaths. Do you know the other thing I thought about? Um, Lord, did you just forget that I preach? Because the other part is, I can't focus. Now, do you know how many altar calls I've been to? Do you know how many times I've prayed about this? Do you know how many times I've closed my eyes, put my head on the pillow, expecting a miracle in the morning, and my condition has not changed? The lenses help me with double vision, but if I put that on a pulpit, I can't even see it. I've got to adjust it. That's a question, isn't it? So you're not getting someone this morning who's talking to you from a theological point of view that has no experience in this. What if the resurrection doesn't occur the way you think it should? Because can I guarantee you, you probably might experience that occasionally. And I'm not being negative. One day I was reading my Bible, which really does help, really, I I find, in circumstances. (laughs) And I'm reading Hebrews. And I'm reading that great chapter of faith. Don't we get excited about chapter 11? Oh, all those faith legends. It's like walking down, I don't know whether you've ever been to the Australian War Memorial, all the heroes listed on the side wall. You're walking in that environment where the heroes of faith are almost looking at you. You're walking down chapter 11, Moses and John, all these guys, it's brilliant. And they got their miracle, they're acting in faith and it's just fantastic. And then we come to this rotten verse, num- number 35. It says this, but there are others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so they make gain. Can we just look at these next few words? An even better resurrection? Hang on a minute. Is there a better resurrection than a resurrection? Some face jeers and floggings and some chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. Sword in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Hang on, what's that next line? They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. I wish I could take that line out. Who wrote this book of Hebrews? Since God planned something, what's that next word? I can't read it. Better. For us, so that only together with us, they could be made perfect. As I look back upon my eyes, don't 
don't even suggest to me that I didn't wish I had perfect sight. But boy, have I learned some lessons. I think my journey of faith and dependency and trust and confidence in God has been stronger from that moment. Not initially. But the arrogance of being able to speak well, a lawyer's training, communicate effectively. Now I've got to depend on God for every moment that I'm speaking. Every moment. And I've learned that there was an even better resurrection. I, I, I learned that resurrection is not determined by the end result. Resurrection is determined in the eyes of God by how the journey we take is undertaken. That's what he's interested in. Because if I didn't believe that, then the writer of Hebrews is wrong. Because they received something better. They were all commended for their faith. When I go to face my Lord, he's not going to say, mate, those older calls didn't work, did they? Maybe he's going to say, Boy, you hung in there. You hung in there. Let me give you a glimpse of what really I was... What happened? I don't know. I don't even think about that too often. So even if I don't receive what I've been promised, I'm going to still believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And sometimes that resurrection doesn't look what I want. But I'm going to trust God. I want you to hear this. This is the last statement I make before I pray for you. Here's what I believe with certainty, without doubt, with confidence, reading the story of Lazarus, seeing Martha and Mary and the crowd deep within my soul sometimes, I'll tell you what I know, that I'm going to trust God that there's an even better resurrection. And that's for you as well. Can you bow your heads this morning? I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff in a minute, but this morning I, I want to pray for you Please hear me. Can you just hear me just for a minute? I do want your heads bowed. In this room, as I said, I don't have to be prophetic. I know there'll be people facing the need for a resurrection miracle. Or maybe you know people that need a resurrection miracle in your family, in your friendship circle. Can I pray for you this morning? No, I'm serious. I don't need you to lift your hand or come to the front. You know who you are, but let me tell you, God knows who you are. And I just want to add my encouragement and my confidence and my faith to you this morning. Can I do that? And right now, if you're one of those people, maybe just put your hands just out in front. I'm receiving this, Lord. I'm receiving this. This word has penetrated my soul. It's penetrated my heart. God, Lord, I needed this this morning. Whether that be in this room or online. So right now, Holy Spirit, you you do the work. I'm done. Would you come and instill a seed of faith? Lord, let's deal with these emotions we've got to deal with. And let's bring them back to this step of faith we've got to take. We speak against the opposition that would come, even though we know it will come. We start to exercise a language of conviction. We start to say that I'm the resurrection, you said, Lord. I'm the life. If I believe in you, and I do. And Lord, even if not, there is an even better resurrection. I'm holding on to that today. I'm walking out of this building with a seed of faith that's so implanted so deeply 
that, oh God, you've done something in my heart this morning. I don't know what quite it is, but I know the Holy Spirit has done something this morning. And I'm going to look at my circumstances differently, Lord. And I'm going to reach out my hand and I'm going to hold yours. And when I get scared, when fear comes, and the opposition is hard, I'll just squeeze your hand a bit tighter. Bless these wonderful people, Lord. And let them know the resurrection power of God is the essence of who they are. But more than that, it's the essence of who you are. In Jesus' name. We said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. What a great message. You know, some of you that are, the, are here in the building or online with us right now or maybe online in days to come because so many people do do that. Maybe you're at that point where you realise you've been living a life without God. And like so many of us did, you come into a place like this, not just a building, but you come into an atmosphere like this and all of a sudden you realise there's a God on the other side of all of this who's been wanting you to know Him and to walk with Him. You'd never given Him a moment's thought much before that, apart from perhaps to pray when you were desperate. All of a sudden you realise God wants to do more than that. He wants to be more than someone in heaven, but He really wants to walk with you. I know what that feels like. I also know what the answer to that is, and that is to say yes to Jesus. Not a yes that says, Lord, I want to trust You for a moment, but a yes that says, Lord, I'm going to begin to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm going to turn away from my own way of doing things away without you. And I'm going to turn to a way that includes you, your word, what you've got to say. I'm going to walk with you, Lord, not just wonder about you. You know, it's such a beautiful thing. Many years ago, we started this thing called Yes Text because we wanted to be able to reach people in a bigger environment than just who was in front of us. So we started this thing called Yes Text. So all you've got to do is to say yes to Jesus. You can text that if you're in Australia. The number's up there on the screen behind me, 0488 If you're outside of Australia or you'd rather get our help via email, then you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. Either way, the next day after you give us your yes, we will send you a Bible verse and a prayer. They're different every day. You get it for 30 days. Of course, you can opt out if you want, whatever you want. But we would love to partner with you and encourage you in a journey with Jesus. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. We would love you to start saying, Jesus, talk to me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, speak to me. Lord, I want to talk to you. And so you get that every day for 30 days if you want to. You can then opt in this 10-day series that literally go for a year and a half's worth of discipleship, all online, all there for you. You can ask questions. We'll never write and ask you for anything. The only time we ever add anything in is when we let you know when a water baptism's coming up so you can follow Jesus' example and be baptised. So let me pray with those of you that want to say yes to Jesus. Lord, I know that You know who they are. They're not strangers to you because you have been wooing them and reaching to them long before I ever knew about them. You've been putting people across their path. 
They've watched things and heard things that have made them realise that You are more for them than they ever knew. And today, Lord, many people are going to say, Jesus, I'm saying yes to You. People that have lost their way with You are going to say yes again and start walking with You again. So we thank You for each one of them. I pray, God, as they send in their yes right now, whenever the time will be, they'll send it in. And Lord, that'll begin their journey with You. It's more than a text. It's more than an email. It's a life beginning to walk with God. We thank You for that, Lord, in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Amen. You know, we want to give you a big hand, those of you that are saying yes, because we want to encourage you right at this moment. So thank you for that. We've got an entire prayer team. The moment your yes comes in, they'll start praying for you. And you go, well, how can they pray for me? I didn't tell them my name. That's okay, because God knows. And uh, we would love the opportunity to be able to partner with you. It's such a a wonderful and exciting thing to be able to do. Again, Pastor Mark, thank you so much. What What a great message. That was just so awesome. Thank you so much. So much encouragement in that. You know, uh, one of the things we always do as a church, we've done it since day one. Uh, The ways we do it have changed, obviously, over the years. Uh, But one of the things we've done since year one is whenever we've had a guest ministry, we've never just kind of said, well, that was awesome. Here's the applause. We've always wanted to invest financially in their life. You know, you're going into places that I will never go. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I ever want to go. Uh, You're going to meet with people that, Uh, I will never get the opportunity to meet them. And thank God that there's somebody going as a representative, not just of your church in Ipswich, nor of your movement, the ACC, but of the entire body of Christ. I know when you go to the Senate Select Committee or to the Australian Law Reform Commission, because I've read the documents, you don't go there saying, my church, my denomination. You go there saying, the church. This is what the church believes and and I just think that's so special. Thank God for raising up someone like you for this hour and this day in this nation of Australia because Lord knows we need it. And so Pastor Mark, we want to bless you today. We're going to give a love offering. That's what we call it. And don't worry if you're new here, don't think, well, do they always take up two offerings? No, Uh, we never receive two apart from when we have a guest ministry. It's our pleasure and our joy to send this brother to all the places God is going to send him. And we want to help make that possible. You can do that online from the website, from our app. You can do that by going out to the Connect Hub uh, and seeing someone there, just tell them it's a love offering. Uh, They'll help you out with that. You can do it through cash, put on the envelope, love offering. Every dollar you give, entirely the whole lot, uh, will go to Pastor Mark and to what God has raised him up for. So let's pray one more time just as we surrender this giving to God. Father, we thank You for all the ways and all the environments You're working in. God, most of us here are never going to speak to politicians like that. We'll never talk to the Prime Minister or the Opposition Leader. We'll never talk to the Attorneys General of States and Commonwealth. But God, we thank You for raising up someone who is. Thank You for raising someone up who had all that experience, not even realising there was a plan behind it all. So God, we bless Mark. We bless him today with our faith. We bless him with our prayer and our love, but we also bless him with our finance. We're sowing in for his life and ministry in Jesus' Name. 
Again, Lord, bless every giver in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you and thank you for that. One more thing before we go, and that is don't forget tonight, five on the dot. Uh, Now, there'll be lots of space for online and teaching. Pastor Mark is going to be speaking on uh, some of those areas. I know I'm going to be asking him to uh, reiterate some of what he said on Friday, which I know will be such a help uh, for so many of us navigating how do we be salt and light and uh, then there'll be more opportunity offline for Q&A as well. But before we go, I really wanted us to sing. I did not know this was the first song that we've told we're going to sing now. I went and I said to Leanne, can we sing the first song again? She said, we already are. I went, oh, okay. Is that what it's called, is it? Because I love the words of this song that are so apropos uh, to the message. So how about we stand up? Thank you, uh, Mel. Thank you, all the team, Tessie and Mark Alan and Doreen and well, the whole lot of you, really. You're all pretty fabulous. Come on, let's sing together this song one more time before we go out there. The cafe will be open. Thank you again, Dr. Murison and Andrew for being with us. I think that's wonderful. Come on, miracles when you move. Let's sing it and believe it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.